And I'm going to call this talk Rebel Dharma. And I don't really know why. <laughs> Just because it's the name of the group and I don't have a snappy title. Well, I was going to talk about patience tonight, actually. But um, I feel like the energy in the room is much more inquisitive of uh, what the hell are we doing here? Like, what is this about? So I want to kind of open, actually open up for some questions about like, how was that? How was the instruction? Was there, was there anything unclear about it? Uh, I know it was challenging for some and challenging in other ways for others. And it's all grist for the mill, as they say. It's all part of the practice. So maybe I'll talk about patience because, you know, if you don't have patience or you don't develop patience in this program, I mean, in this, uh, <laughs> in this, <laughs> I mean, all things are true, right? In this program, in this life plan, in this practice, you're not going to get very far. But I do, I want to I hear from you a little bit. Um, any particular questions about the practice? Not necessarily like what your experience was and, you know, like you want to just kind of share. That's not what we're doing here. If you have a particular question about the instruction, about meditation practice, please, uh, let's make some time for that. And then I'll talk a little bit about patience and how um, it's helpful. Please. Um, so, I've been dabbling in meditation just a little bit, and there's always like focus on the breath is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious during this, it occurred to me that I wasn't exactly sure why the breath was where it's at. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering why that's what we focus on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's funny, you missed the last few weeks, huh? Because I actually went, went into that for the last few weeks, like in quite in depth. But uh, it's a great question. And oftentimes we're talked, uh, we're looked at, the Vipassana or insight tradition is looked at as breath worshipers. Like, what the hell is with all the breath, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it's just a useful tool. It's a point, it's a concentration practice. So the breath is with you from your birth date to your death date. And most of the time we don't notice. We're breath- we, the body breathes, breathes itself, right? Quite literally. Like we don't have to be aware of it at all. The heart beats itself. We don't really need to do anything. The mind thinks itself, right? So what we're learning in this practice is how to have focus how to have focused awareness. And so the breath is just a tool because it's constant. And it's always changing. So both things are true. It's consistent. It rises, it stays for a time, it passes away. Another breath rises, it stays for a time, it passes away. All by itself. We don't have to do anything. Sometimes, um, you know, we used to have a clock. Someone got really annoyed, so they bought a new clock for us. But it used to have that tick, you know, like each second. Perfect meditation object. Attention to sound. Tick, tick, 
Tick. It's the same. Th- it's a sustained awareness in one direction, other than how insane the mind is, because that's usually what's going on, right? God, my mind's really crazy. All these thoughts are coming through. I don't know what to do. Shut them off. I don't want to think this, or I want to. I really want to think this, right? Wanting, wanting, pleasant, pleasant experiences. Uh, not wanting unpleasant experiences, whether thought, feeling, or action. Right. So, breath, there's actually a lot to it. In the, and I want to invite you to go online, and it's, I think it's breath by breath is the, the talk. And you, it'll really kind of unpack what's called the Satipatthana Sutta. Satipatthana Sutta means the wisdom of the in and out breath. Because really, from the Buddhist perspective, if you can keep sustained attention on the breath for long enough, the breath disappears. I mean, we don't stop breathing, but we stop being aware of it. Because we don't need to. The mind has expanded to another kind of level, basically. And um, from the Buddhist perspective, those are called jhanas, levels of absorption. And so, really, we're working with the first level, right? Concentration and focused awareness. Super helpful. Yeah. So that's the basic deal. The other thing that is really helpful, and maybe if people have had other practice, is uh, a kind of sweeping through the awareness of the body. You know, feeling the feet, the legs, up through the hips, chest, midsection, arms, top of the head, and then back down. And just noticing all the different sensations that are happening. Another perfectly good tool. So sustaining focused awareness. And the hope is that as you're learning to refine your attention, uh, you de-emphasize all of the jibber-jabber, right? All the, the head weasels that are going on of pleasant, non-pleasant. I like this, I don't like that. I want this, I don't want that, right? Insanity, just all the time. And then there's something else that arises. And you guys all kind of, well, most of you spoke about it as either why you're here or what you've experienced in meditation a little bit in the, you know, as when we were doing the kind of intro. So I really appreciate your question. And I'm sure other people were wondering. Please. Just piggyback on what you said a little bit. I just read something. Um, about uh, what we're doing here uh, as part one of the two-phase thing. I think you just touched on it, mm. about uh, you know, the, the breathing, the concentration on the breath is what they call calm abiding. Mm-hmm. side of it is the beginning of it. Yeah. And, what, and they actually use the word vipassana as mm-hmm. the next step. That's right. And so that's what you're talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. if you know, we get to that point where mm-hmm. we, the breath disappears, how do we know that, which is, you know, is there a way to be aware that, you know, okay, we don't want to chase those thoughts out anymore, mm-hmm. that we've reached a, a point that we want to kind of look at that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. use meditation for insight? Is, there, is that something that's taught or it just happens? Yes, it's taught, and yes, it just happens. Mm-hmm. We need to have guides along the way. That's why there's teachers and meditation groups and you know, meditation masters. and um, But with a little direction 
and a little when that calm abiding as you're talking about or the, what I what I call uh, is really more uh, what it looks like to me as a refinement of mind. So I start to see what's essentially happening in a in a present time experience, in a moment to moment experience. You start to see, and then you start to see, oh, that's not happening. That's actually not happening at all. And then there's so there's what's uh, there's what's happening, right? That we're trying to bring our attention or focused awareness on what's happening: sound, thoughts, feelings, breath, sensations in the body, all that. And we're really trying to ground there, right? And be okay with that. For some reason, we've been so conditioned to not be okay with what's happening that we bail. We think about the future, or we are rehashing the past. Other unprocessed experiences that we weren't present for then. <laughs> and it's really, that's what's happening. Is that, oh, when I'm sitting in meditation, that why it's so difficult is because my mind goes to unprocessed stuff. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. That I didn't deal with then. That I didn't fully experience then. And oftentimes they're unpleasant. Because we have a natural protective quality to be aversive to that which is unpleasant, right? And a natural instinctual quality to grasp onto that which is pleasant. Whether it's a thought, a feeling, right? Or some kind of state, physical state. So there's this, so using the breath or present time awareness as the vehicle, there's this beautiful um, story about the, it's called the raft, and it's basically like we're on one side of a stream or a river, and there's a raft, and we need to use the raft to get to the other side. But then when we get to the other side, we don't pick up the raft and walk along our path, right? We've used it to its point, and now we need to continue along the path. That's basically what this kind of the first, uh, what's called the first foundation of mindfulness, breath, body, present time awareness is about, right? And then that second level is, is really intuitive, Tom. I mean, it really, you need some guidance, and it's, it's this expansive awareness. What I hear you saying is like, when is it? When are we using good judgment or discernment to go? Oh, okay, this is a thought we're thinking, yeah. right? Like when does that happen? Because right now, or I don't know about for you, but for the most of my meditation practice, no thought is actually worth thinking because <laughs> most of it is just crap, you know. <laughs> most of it. Yeah, well, no. I mean, see, insight, or what, what's called the vipassana, or insight. Insight is what actually is not the like, oh, I'm having an insight. Sometimes that happens, that moment of clarity where, you know, your, your brain cells kind of connect in such a way as you figure something out, and you're like, oh, wow, right? Insight, vipassana. The practice, though, is really can I have a calm abiding and create a space for the insight to actually drop into it. We're not actually creating anything other than a space. And then the insights arise naturally. 
This is the way it's kind of been um, described to me. I love the question, actually, uh, and it's it, it is definitely a progression. But we're not actually tr- the, and you know I've sat long retreats and with like really well known like renowned like Jack Cornfield and you know Joseph Goldstein and these like whatever writing hundreds of books people and you know and undoubtedly there's always someone about you know two three weeks into the retreat that goes so I've been waiting for this insight to take place and uh, where is it. You know, I paid thousands of dollars. And I literally was once on retreat and heard that. And, you know, and I love Jack. Just, you know, he said, yeah. It's not necessarily going to happen like that. Not to say that feeding, you know, knowledge, reading, and discerning is the other quality. This comes over time. The discernment of, and it's kind of like, you know, you used a... a like a metaphor once about breath, not breath. Thinking about discerning around, you know, am I with my breath or is my mind wandered off to, instead of labeling it, just not breath. See, that's really great because it's really helping the first part, that calm abiding to take place. And then eventually it's breath and then skillful or unskillful thought. Is this thought, does this memory lead to awakening, lead to what we want, right? Mm -hmm. Calm, ease of being, uh, lightness of heart. And you can then, you know, over time, because you're getting to know, you start to see the freeway of thoughts, right? It's, you know, the SUV and the loud, obnoxious Harley and the, you know, the lowered, you know, 64 Impala blaring the, you know, the the beats, whatever, you know. You start to discern, oh, that thought is that and that thought is this. And you start to see, right, there's trends. And then once you, that's, that's insight. Really just realizing that your mind is out of control is insight. Matter of fact, it's called the first insight. Um. One of the masters of, uh, of this Thai forest meditation practice, um, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but uh, I was in Thailand some years ago. He, he's been dead now for many years. I'm going to read him in a minute. His name is uh, Ajahn Chah. And he boiled it down to why we suffer. And he said, suffering is due to wrong thinking. We, no, he said, we suffer because wrong thinking. This was his tra- the translation of his teaching. We suffer because wrong thinking. Not we suffer because thinking, or not we suffer because life is unfair. We suffer because of our attachment to wanting things to be other than they are. And that often plays out in our thoughts first. And as many of us know, our thoughts actually create the world. What we think is actually what we create, we're cultivating. And so if it's skillful or unskillful, we can begin to discern that. And you're probably ready to start engaging in that way, personally, Tom, you probably are. Um, Or experiment with it and then see where it goes. Because you'll know when it's unskillful because you're like, you're feeling all jumpy and you're like having these, you know, these negative kind of memories coming back or, you know, whatever, you know, we all, we all have them. 
We all have unattended sorrow, unattended grief. It's necessary to go into that stuff. So it's not necessarily if it's unpleasant that it's unskillful. That's not always the case. Sometimes it's actually chasing the desirous states that is the unskillful. As a matter of fact, most of the time. You know. If I'm trying to get out of whatever my experience is and look for some happy, happy thought, thought I'm generally causing more suffering. And that's actually what Ajahn Chah was saying. Suffering due to, because of wrong thinking. Not uh, good thinking or bad thinking, just you know, wrong attention, wrong direction. And, um, and I think that that's a good segue into just reading this. I love Ajahn Chah. Because Ajahn Chah is, he was this old man, lived in the northeast of Thailand in a, in a forest. And he lived there almost his whole life in this same kind of village area. And he didn't have, I mean, he, w- he went and got, you know, kind of college educated early. And then he realized, useless. And then he went back into the forest. Literally. He went back into the forest and just said really clearly, you know, I can learn everything I need to learn from nature and watching the breath. Watching this present time awareness of just being. And I think that we get a little lost in that. We get a little uh, linear in our thinking. You know, I have to learn this and then learn that and then learn, 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 learn. And then we forget about being. The Simple Path by Ajahn Chah. Traditionally, the Eightfold Path is taught with eight steps, such as right understanding, right speech, right concentration, and so forth. So this is uh, the Eightfold Path laid out by the Buddha as the path to awakening, the path to freedom from suffering. But the true Eightfold Path is within us. Two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, a tongue, and a body. These eight doors are our entire path. And the mind is the one that walks on the path. Know these doors, examine them, and all the dharmas, truth, will be revealed. The heart of this path is so simple, no need for long explanations. Give up clinging to love and hate. Give up clinging to love and hate. Just rest With things as they are. This is the instruction. This is all I do in my own practice. Do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything. Do not be a meditator. Do not become enlightened. When you sit, let it be. When you walk, let it be. Grasp at nothing. Resist nothing. Of course... There are dozens of meditation techniques to develop samadhi, which means concentration, and many kinds of vipassana, insight. But it all comes back to this. Just let it all be. Step over here where it is cool. Out of the battle. Why not give it a try? Do you dare? Grasp at nothing. Resist 
nothing. Of course, there are dozens of meditation techniques to develop concentration and many kinds of insight. But it all comes back to this. Just let it all be. Step over here, where it is cool, out of the battle. Why not give it a try? And then the challenge, do you dare? And the reason why I love that is because this is a hard practice. And it takes perseverance. And it takes that kind of do you dare? Do you dare to sit with all that shit that you have been avoiding? Like, are you really willing to do it? Because it's not about finding the intellectual answer. It's about opening the heart. And really letting yourself be at ease with whatever your experience is. That's what this practice is about. So the word, uh, you know, it's gonna, we're going to have to end soon. But the word um, dukkha, dukkha means suffering in Pali, the language of the Buddha. Dukkha, suffering, has lots of uh, translations. My favorite translation is impatience. Suffering is impatience. And so, sukha, freedom, happiness, sukha, patience. Uh, This is another way, this is one way to just really, very easily, the Buddha's teaching or this meditation teaching, whether it doesn't even have to be Buddhist, right? Just the teaching of freedom and awakening can be boiled down to developing patience in your life. Where we're impatient, we're usually uh, restricted, we're usually uh, racing thoughts, right? Am I right? I mean, uh, it's true for me anyway. When I catch myself being impatient, I'm causing suffering for myself. And that's the second noble truth from the Buddhist teaching, which is that there's a cause to our suffering. And that cause is our own selfish craving to want things to be different than they are. So to to develop patience is key. To develop a tolerance to our intolerance. But first, before we do that, we have to actually develop an intolerance to our suffering. Because most of us are really used to being to suffering. We kind of like it sometimes. We kind of expect it for sure. Right? Now, if you're distorted like I like I am, I actually clinged to my suffering for years as a badge of honor, right? I deserve, I earned this suffering. I'm going to hold on to it. It's, I'm going to keep it warm. This is my suffering. And if you try to take it from me, you're going to be suffering. It was, that's kind of the way I felt. And so I was, and then I would complain about my suffering, right? But if you have the kind of suffering that I have, but no, you can't look at it. But if you had the same suffering that I had, you would be angry too. Or you would, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there's this. Tolerance that we develop about our suffering, about the dissatisfaction with the way things are. 
about our old hurts, our old mistreatments, the clinging to that. If you're like me, then you're familiar with that. As a matter of fact, you know, I got loaded because of that. Right? I drank bottles and bottles of booze and did all kinds of dope and committed all kinds of, uh, you know, horrible, horrible things in the name of if you knew the suffering that I knew. Which, of course, you do. <laughs> so there's this like, so there's that kind of relationship, right? So that in like developing an intolerance to our suffering is really that kind of first step of like recognizing it, seeing it clearly. The second noble truth, right, is uh, it's like seeing, oh, I'm actually causing my own suffering by clinging to it. These old, old hurts, old mistreatments, old thought patterns, old belief systems that aren't actually alive. They're not actually real. This is the thing that just drives me crazy about my mind. My mind takes something that happened when I was 10 and then comes right and drops it right back into my present time experience and then makes me believe that it's actually happening. Right? I feel it. I can experience it. I memorize. It's memory. Right? But it's only alive in the present time it's not actually happening. It's only alive through that memory. So, in that, in some way, is me is like the mind reminding itself to suffer, right? It's like, oh, remember this happened, right? And don't ever do it again. It's instinctual. It's actually part of our evolution. It's part of our way to help protect us. But it it obviously outserves its usefulness, right? was really great when I was 11, 12. You know, I had to learn how to, like, oh yeah, that person, or the, that type of person, or that group of people, or that whatever, not helpful for me to be around, right? Because I have this memory. But at some point, we have to let it go. And that's actually a lot of what that, that the, simple, the simple path is. Being with what is. So this second foundation, I mean, this second noble truth is really clearly saying that clinging to my, my past experiences is causing my current suffering. So let it go. Really, how is it helping you? Now, it's really easy to say that. And very difficult to do. Because we're so conditioned. And I know that, and I, you know, and I know uh, there are definitely some people in this room that have had horrible hurts and mistreatments, or have horribly hurt and mistreated, or both. And so it's hard to navigate that, but not impossible. So the third noble truth is that the end to this causing suffering for myself again and again and again. Is possible. That's great. The prognosis is good. There's no timeline. In six months, this is going to happen. In three years. Actually, the Buddha was really clear that it may take lifetimes. And that, that, that can be problematic, right? If we don't have patience. (laughs) 
So impatience is the norm, right? Patience is this quality of perseverance, of being with the way things are. Again and again and again. And that doesn't mean shutting out pain. That doesn't mean forgetting about hurts and mistreatments. It doesn't mean that. It means acknowledging them, actually. Turning towards them. I had this, uh, I'll tell this last story and then we need to end. But, um, so, well, let's just actually use a current story. So I just came back. I spent a week in the desert. I was out in Joshua Tree. Uh, down in, uh, you know, in the desert. Where it was really deserty. And... Um, the desert is a great place to sit in meditation because there's nothing. There's actually, it's quite alive. But it's really easy to just sit and walk and sit and walk and be, you know, there's a buildings and stuff. And uh, I was with some friends actually, but I was, in, I was in silence for the most part. And to watch the different layers of reaction to the way things are. And to just feel, like connect to, oh wow, I'm like impatient. I'm having impatience right now with the way things are. I want it to be different. And so being able to just feel into that and acknowledge that. And then it it can create space. But you have to do that first step. We have to feel into it. We have to acknowledge it. And if we don't, and we want to get to the, the good... Right? We want to get to the, the happy, happy, joy, joy. Then it's false. It's actually mostly bullshit. Most of the spiritual... like, uh, It's one of the things I love about my crew. The Dawn Punks crew. The Against the Stream crew. Is that we're not trying to be fake spiritual. Like I, I'm not spiritual. You know what I am? I'm a survivor. So are you. And we're trying to do this together. And I'm really just trying to heal. And so, how do we do that? By turning towards that which is difficult. By opening up to the pain. By allowing it to move through us. And how do we do that? By first developing calm abiding. And disengage from the insanity of our minds. Because it's pretty crazy in there. Yeah? Sometimes. And then... Just kind of like trying to develop a relationship with our body. And so much actually just gets unlocked. Just trying to, oh, can I actually feel my breath? Literally, like, so much is held in our body. Psychologically, physiologically, that if we can let go of, and we can soften around then the healing takes place all by itself. But we have to be willing to do that. I don't think any of this is really helpful anymore. I mean, it's, you know, it's great stuff, but it's not really about patience as much. The, um, but you know, one of the things about patience that is helpful is that uh, to understand... The truth of karma. And the truth of karma is actually very simple. Which is that there is this momentum of energy. Based on our moment to moment experience of the way things are. And that there is this momentum energy. And that 
we can choose based on our experience and the way that we deal with each passing moment, we can choose whether to have that momentum go in a positive direction or in a direction towards skillfulness, towards ease, towards be, you know, lightness, being, happiness. Or we can choose to have it be more complicated, more difficult, more clinging, more anger, more hatred, more... We can choose in each moment. And it's a tough choice sometimes. Because sometimes clinging and protection and anger feels like the best option. I struggle with that sometimes myself. And really only like through that skillfulness of like, oh, is it actually skillful to have my heart closed right now? Is it really going to help me? And usually it doesn't take long. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, actually, it's going to help me get out of this dangerous situation or whatever. Or protect my heart from further pain or something like that. But usually if I play it out a little bit longer, besides the immediate idea of protection, it usually is not skillful. It usually leads to more suffering and more agony and more discomfort. And so that turning towards you know, the skillful action can be helpful. But we first have to develop this calm abiding. I love that term. I've heard it before. But it, yeah, it's basically that kind of, can we rest in that which is pleasant, unpleasant or neutral? And within that place, the Buddha talks about that's where freedom is. Within that, we're actually within that place is where freedom is. So we don't actually need to look very much farther. The rest just naturally appears. So we have to end. 